Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. Listen to the Stitch Wrestling Podcast, it doesn't get any better. I want to thank the Beatles for writing that song about their favorite podcast, Stitch Wrestling, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we will give you a wicked good and raw bone podcast. My name is John McAdam. I am the host of this fine podcast. Before we get rolling... You are invited to join our Facebook group. It is a fun, fun group. It's gotten really big. I had to find something that was uh, about a week old, and it took me forever scrolling down. So there's a lot of good conversation. Uh, It's not just stick to wrestling. Recently, I talked about how I blew the dust off of my PlayStation 2 in order to play a college baseball game, just to change things up a little bit. I've been playing Major League Baseball games since I was a kid, so forever. And yeah, I I hadn't sparked it up since 2019. And I was surprised it was that recent. Like I said, fun things. Also, Twitter. Uh, just put in the name John McAdam and follow the guy who has the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. Massage my ego and follow me on Twitter. And with that, I want to bring back Jamie Ward uh, for part two of our July 4th, 1982 episode. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's great to be back, John. But before we get started on a little personal note, uh, not to get all sappy for everyone. Oh, please get all sappy for everyone. At the uh, recording of this episode today, uh, tomorrow is my 30th wedding anniversary. So I just want to wish my wife, Tara, a happy 30th anniversary. It's been a great 30 years. I love you. And hopefully we get 30, 40, 50, 60 more. Happy anniversary to you and Tara. You are both now grandparents, which is incredible. And I, for some reason, Jamie, I thought you guys were, were – actually, you were together more than 30 years. You just weren't married for 30 years. Right. We've been together for 33 years. We just celebrated that uh, from the first time we went out. Now, tomorrow, 30 years of marriage and another grandchild on the way doing around Thanksgiving. Oh, well, congratulations to you both. I I did not know that until this very moment. Yeah, well, thank you very much. All right. Now I bored everybody. Let's get back. (laughs) I don't think anyone was that bored for the 30 seconds that you took to let us know what was going on in your life. All right. We are once again talking about Georgia Championship Wrestling from uh, the episode from July 3rd, 1982. And then we're going to talk about the... Huber big show they had at the Omni. Um, right now we're going to go to some audio for review purposes. Uh, we're going to Paul Orndorf is doing an interview and he's got a surprise in store. Let's go to that. The national heavyweight champion Paul Orndorf is with me right now, and here's a man that I think every aspiring athlete could certainly look up to. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you for those words. You know, here lately. There's been a lot of people to uh, put their names on some contracts. I'm going to be defending this belt all over the country. Uh, there's people like Don Morocco, Jimmy Snooker. They're coming from out of the woodworks everywhere. Everybody wants a title shot at the national champion. Well, my name is on a contract. It's an open contract. And I'll... Hey, is the guy. You better take that belt home, and you better sign it up. And you better put it around your waist and take some pictures with it on because it's not going to be with you long, brother. I'm going to promise you that. 
just say one thing, Jordan. I've already proven who was the better man between us two. But I'm going to tell you something. When I go to bed at night, you can be sure of one thing, that I'll sleep with one eye open because I know what kind of people are around here. These people around here, they're out to hurt people. People like Goldie Anderson, you just saw Stan Hansen, they just went out there and tried to hurt those people. And I know what to do in a case like that because I, if I have to and it boils down to that, I can hurt some people too. Well, I can certainly attest to that because I've seen this man in action all over the country, and Paul Orndorff has indeed uh, well deserved the title of the national heavyweight champion. But I, as I say, as you said a moment ago, though, you're remaining constantly on guard because uh, as Sawyer, uh, Snooker, some of these others are the kind that would jump you from behind. That's very true, and you got to keep you got to keep those eyes open. You got to keep watching around these corners because they're nothing but a bunch of snakes. Cockroaches, as far as I'm concerned, they're the type of people that will not face you face to face like a man. That's the only way they can do any damage is when your back is turned. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Paul Orndorff, the national heavyweight champion, and uh, turning now to the ring. All right, that was Buzz Sawyer who interrupted so rudely Paul Orndorff. Jamie, I, I know you saw the video on this. Buzz Sawyer looked like he was getting a great deal of pharmaceutical help for his physique. He looked like he was about to explode. He looked like the Michelin Man. Yeah, this is the uh, beginning of the Mad Dog. I, I mean, we, we've it's been in process, but the, as soon as you can tell that he's on the roids, he is he becomes the Mad Dog, and the, the hairline's going to keep going within six months before he loses that. The hair anyway, that hairline is just disappearing every single week. You are correct. I mean, I have never seen a guy go balder faster than Buzz Sawyer. He had a full head of hair in 1979. Yeah, he's there in, um, if you've seen the photos of Dusty winning the NWA title, he's like right on Dusty's arm. Yeah, uh, that the, was the... the what was it, Tampa... Um, no, I believe it was Tampa. It was on okay. the cover, I believe, of the ninth, uh, the December 1979 uh, Inside Wrestling, where, yeah, Buzz has a full hut of hair, and that's going bye-bye very quickly. And a small body. That, that body's going to disappear, too. Yeah. Paul Orndorff, I don't mean to overpraise him, but he looks like a million dollars. He looks like a guy who really, I mean, even in a world with Ric Flair, he looks like a potential NWA champion. Yeah, if, without Ric Flair, he would have been the champ uh, coming up. He was, like you just said, he was a million dollars here. Yeah. And I mean, he looks looks great. I forget if this is the interview or not. Is he in the suit in this interview? Yes, he was. That... Orndorff in the suit looked just as classy as Flair. He really did. And Orndorff was great in the ring, great on the mic. And obviously, he was on to bigger and better things in the wrestling business. I mean, he had just been done being one of the top guys in Mid-South for two or three years. He's now the top guy in Georgia. And pretty soon, he's going to be main eventing Madison Square Garden against Hulk Hogan and main eventing something uh, which wasn't even conceived at this point called WrestleMania. Yeah, and he, you know, looking back, you could have had back and dropped the belt to snook it in that steel cage and slid Warndorf right in there. That would not have been the worst plan ever. I mean, he would have been a great WWF champ at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, if they couldn't get their hands on Hogan, I mean, obviously, Hogan was the one and only. There was no substitute, but Orndorff is a guy that you would look at, at least look at. Oh, yeah, and this Georgia run was phenomenal. 
Yeah, it, he it really was, and you know, and you couldn't help but be a little bit jealous of Paul Orndorff because I mean, you know, if you're watching this with you know with girls as we frequently did, I mean, you weren't getting any attention when Paul Orndorff was on TV. <laughs> No, all that tension was on the screen. Absolutely. All right, let's go now to the magnificent Morocco, who had a brief but memorable run in Georgia at this time, right before he returns to the WWF. Yeah, he has a good run, and he winds up eventually uh, part of the Piper turn. Uh, A big part of the Piper turn. Right, which works probably even better because he was part of it, and then having him with Morocco and Gordon knowing each other, so Gordon was very comfortable, I'm sure, with what is about to happen, you know, another two months, I think. Uh, right around then. It was right around Labor Day 1982. And, you know, when Vince Waller and I were on the show doing it about six weeks ago where we reviewed a complete episode of Georgia Championship Wrestling from the beginning of 1982, I mean, we were captivated almost by the relationship between Roddy Piper and Gordon Soley. Gordon's the quintessential babyface. Roddy Piper is the rotten heel but they got along. They had nothing but respect for one another. And, it, I mean, they, you know, that relationship was apparent on camera. And when Gordon was in trouble against Morocco, it was Piper who came to his to his rescue, really. Yeah, and that was from day one from when he first appeared, what, in October of 81. You could see the he, – Gordon was always happy with the way Piper behaved himself. But you, there was a mutual respect between the two. And the Morocco turn, there was actually a time or two before where there would be, he would be as part of the interview that of whatever was going on. And the heel would get a little rough, not, not put hands on Gordon like Morocco did, but you could see Piper kind of getting uncomfortable, getting ready to stick up for Gordon. So they had that groundwork already laid. Yeah, you know, it was and when it happened, when Morocco really started to rough up Gordon Soley and Piper came to his rescue. I mean, to, to me, it was shocking. I did not see it coming. Uh, but they did a, a similar angle in 1980 when Sir Gordon, uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, like, got, got more than physically beat up Gordon Soley. Yeah, that's right. I forgot all about that one. All right. So, yeah, let's, let's hear the audio for, for Don Morocco now. Directions like like Gordon, like when you got the big white show when you were sitting under the under the lifeguard tower all summer long with nothing happening. All of a sudden the fishermen come in and say, "There's one 12 plus. It's a big one." So you run down, you get the triple tanks, and then you load the spear gun, you go deep, and you look for them. And here he comes, swimming along evilly, evilly, dusty roads, and you have them in your sights. You're looking at those eyes bulging out of the side of his head, bulging. And then you wonder, then you wonder, are you looking for the shark or is the shark looking for you? Dusty Rhodes got his bag full of bull ropes, got his meanness, he's angry, he's got his eye back on the tiger, because he knows, I, he knows, he's watching now, that's why he won't come here, that's why he won't come on the set, he been tomorrow, see, Fourth of July, see. He's going to have to come. (laughs) He's going to have to come. He's going to have to look. He's going to have to look, and I'm going to have to look into his eyes, too. And I've been waiting. $5,000 don't mean nothing to get in the road to bring. 
Ergo, a strange individual on the magnificent Morocco. We have a matchup coming. I I love that version of Morocco where, as Gordon said, he's just saying strange things. Oh, that's just like when he would do the uh, arena interviews with, with Vince. Uh, no wonder they put him with Albano the second time around. This way, he he could just be as wild as he could be. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're getting away from Georgia, but 1981 Morocco, when he was with the Grand Wizard, was way different than 1983 Morocco when he was with Albano in ways that were both good and bad. Yes. Yeah, he was out of shape, beginning to get out of shape at that point. But he, he's in magnificent shape here. Yeah, he he looks great. He looks like a future possible world champion. I saw an interview with Morocco where he was like, there's no way he ever wanted to be NWA champion. He just did not want the schedule. He didn't care about the money. Anyway, Howard Baum, I haven't heard his Morocco impersonation in a while. I got to have him back on Stick to Wrestling at some point, maybe completely doing in complete Don Morocco mode. We shall see. Take a listen if you get a moment to the... uh... Uh, Brian Solomon's uh, podcast. He just had Howard on. Oh wow, I did not know that. Oh, it's a it's a great hour. You got li- actually, I think they run over an hour. Uh, you got to listen to that. He he does a couple different Morocco. Okay, I I, I usually keep uh, pretty good uh, in touch with what Brian's doing because he has he has a really good podcast. It's called Shut Up and Wrestle, and I highly recommend it. It's part of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Uh, all right, now. As we heard the music, we have the Freebirds coming back, and they have a confrontation with Sonny King. Let's check that out. King has joined Holy Freebirds are champions. They could save themselves a lot of embarrassment by coming and joining my organization, see? All I want is the belts. They have the belts. So I'm saying to God, and you guys could save yourself an embarrassment by joining my organization, because you know... Without any doubt, you cannot touch my Simone. You know that. Well, hey, I'll just tell you like we tell everybody else. You can go get Alpha. You can go get Sika. For all I care, you go get your mama. But ain't nothing going to stop us, Sonny King. I know you and you know us. But we got them belts, and we're like rock and roll. We're here to stay. Go get your Samoans, we'll get it all now. Okay, Michael. All right, y'all, okay, yeah, you're Michael. bad, but we ain't stopping. Okay, if you Michael. want it, you got to take it. Gentlemen, I think, okay, uh, I think it's a good time to call a halt to things before they get out of hand. We'll be right back. Well, that was quite a sales pitch on the part of Sonny King. Save yourself some embarrassment and, en- and join my organization. Hey, if you can't beat him, join him. That's what he, that's what he was trying to get to. I mean, uh, he had just brought the Samoans in maybe two or three weeks before this. And this is also pre-Lollipop Sonny King. I feel like I am the one person who liked Sonny King as a manager in Georgia. I thought he and the Samoans had good chemistry. I thought he was good on the mic. I enjoyed his character. And pretty much everyone disagrees with me. I'll be the one person. I agree with you, John. All right. Uh, After this, they had an absolutely great, or they're building up to, an absolutely great three-way feud uh, with the Samoans, the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, and Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson. This, This made my summer. Yeah, but they, unfortunately, they never really pulled the trigger on. 
Um, they had a couple of matches in the Omni, not a three-way. Like they, no, the, the Samoans and um, Ole and Stan, I missed that. Or I'm not remembering it anyway. I remember they did a thing where the Samoans were wrestling a couple of jobbers, and they threw one of the jobbers at Ole Anderson, and they got into a brawl. So I'm thinking they had an Omni match after that, but I could be wrong. And again, you know, the Samoans won the national tag team championships and then you know left without notice. So I don't know what happened. Yeah, I I don't either. All right. Uh, Let me see. So, yeah, we've got that coming up. Now, once again, uh, let's hear from the Magnificent Morocco. I believe this is his third interview on a 120-minute show, but they're good anyway. For review purposes only, let's hear from Morocco. I'd like to remind you very quickly, there's wrestling tonight in Augusta, Georgia, and in Gadsden, Alabama. Tomorrow night, of course, the Omni here in Atlanta. Monday in Gainesville, Florida, the Stephen O'Connell Center. Tommy Wildfire Rich will be there. Tickets are available at all Gainesville O'Connell Center outlets. On Thursday night in Jessup, Georgia, and Friday night in Conyers, Georgia. And, of course, this man will be in action. when you've chummed up the water and you've laid enough bait, and the water becomes a crimson mass, and you poke... You poke the white shark a couple times, he gets mad. He gets angry. And then he's going to come looking for you. I'm ready, he says. I've got the eye of the tiger, he says. I'm bad, he says. Whether it's Gordon Soley or Tommy Rich or Bob Backlund, I'll take him on. Well, this is Morocco. Magnificent Morocco. Come on, Dusty Rose. Okay, July 3rd, <laughs> 1982. Dusty Rhodes versus Magnificent Morocco. It happened a couple of times, I think, in the Northeast. I think they wrestled in Hartford or New Haven or something. But that is, I mean, you two of the top ten guys in the business as far as I was concerned. Just a dream match that I wanted to see. Oh, yeah, and they would have the match the next day. And a little bit of foreshadowing what was going to, to, to come was Morocco knocked Dusty out with a roll of quarters. Yes. And that match, which plays importance down the line. It does. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, we might as well talk about that. Um, Dusty, we'll talk more about the match later, did a, a under a 60 minute, a 60 second job to Morocco, got pinned in the middle, not clean because Morocco knocked him out with a roll of quarters. Uh, Jamie, fill in the rest. Tell us why this was, what this was foreshadowing. Well, it foreshadows the Roddy Piper turn when uh, Morocco, I think, is wrestling Tommy Rich in the Omni. Uh, and, th- and this is after they have their brawl with Morocco beating up, trying to beat up Gordon Soley. I think it was the next day. Was it the next day? Okay. I believe so. And Piper comes to the, uh, the ring after the match with Tommy Rich or during the match with Tommy Rich and lays Morocco out and then breaks the roller quarters on top of Morocco and just lets it fall. It was really something else. It was so cool of Roddy Piper. He just calmly walks out. You know, and again, if I recall correctly, it was the day after. Day after, okay. And just, uh, you know, calmly hangs his his, uh, jacket on the ring post, uh, walks over to Morocco, knocks him out with a roll of quarters, pours the quarters on him, calmly walks over, puts his jacket back on, and leaves. It was hilarious. That was one of my father's favorite moments in wrestling up all anytime we ever talked wrestling and we start reminiscing about the old days he'd always bring up that moment where piper knocked morocco out with the roll of quarters and let it rain you know i i always 
I'm not saying I had everything about wrestling figured out in not, certainly in 1982, but I always kind of knew that Roddy Piper was going to turn babyface at some point. And same thing when he showed up in the WWF as a heel. I was like, okay, about another year or two, he's going to be one of the good guys. And that was a, an occasion where I was correct. Yeah, well, they had to pull the trigger on this one because he was involved in, he got stabbed in the Mid Atlantic region going to a match. Yeah. And for his own protection. Well, I think it was it was more of like, okay, he got Roddy Piper got stabbed by some crazy fan, so that's uh that puts babyface heat on him whether or not you want it. So they just went with it. And like I said, it was inevitable anyway. Yeah, and I think the mid Atlantic version of it was somebody was trying to attack kids in a school bus and Roddy Piper saved them. There was something crazy something happened along those lines. in real life. It wasn't a wrestling angle. I forget what it was. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you are listening to this and you're part of the Facebook group, uh, please clarify. But something happened outside the ring uh, where Roddy heroically saved someone and it wasn't it, it wasn't like a, a pro wrestling thing. It happened for real and it made yeah. the papers and they were like, all right, we got to turn this guy. Yeah, so hopefully somebody, and I'm sure they do, we got enough great fans out there that will be able to uh, put that on the Facebook page. <laughs> totally. Uh, like Mike, Mike Gunner. He should know the answer to that one. Mike Gunner absolutely will know the answer to that. All right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off course here. I've been reading the book, Katie Bar the Door. I've been thinking about Mike, right? Katie Bar the Door is a history of Portland wrestling. And they talked about, oh, Jamie, you were here for this. So I have the perfect guest. They were talking about um, Ed Wiskowski did a thing where he wanted to fight one of the baby faces. And the baby face was like, Ed Wiskowski was like, okay, if you want me to fight this guy, the fans need to raise another $100, right? Yes. Yep. (laughs) So it was in the Portland book. And so weeks later, you and I are in Chicago and Wiskowski is on the card. He's teaming with Buddy Rose against two of the local Chicago guys. And they did that angle. And in the Portland book, they said it was successful one night, but not successful the other night. Well, and they did the same thing. Wiskowski and Rose were like, all right, if you want us to give your fan favorites a chance and we'll wrestle 10 more minutes, but you got to raise $100. And they got laughed out of the building. Yep, I remember... Uh... That several of us, when they came over to us, we just turned our back on them. <laughs> and Mike Gunner, on the other hand, pulls out his American Express card. And, yes, yes. And he was sitting right next to me, and he's like dangling the American Express card. And Buddy's like, no, cash only. <laughs> <laughs> but reading reading that in the book, it's a really good book. I, I can't say enough about it. I That's wish- like Mike Rogers, right? Yes, it is who was a uh, fellow newsletter writer with myself back in the 80s. And uh, we didn't talk on the phone, but we corresponded monthly. Yeah, you were, you were talking back in the, the days when we wrote letters. <laughs> Way back when we were pilgrims, yeah. And you talked about uh, exchanging newsletters with him. Yep. Yeah, Mike was a great guy, or probably is still a great guy. He's in the group. Him in. <laughs> oh, is he? Hey, Mike, hello. It's 
been a long time. Mike's turned heel. Okay, but yeah, I didn't even know Mike was in the group. That's that's awesome. Okay, yeah, and like I said, he he told he I read that story in the book, and it's like okay, uh, literally a couple of weeks later, both Jamie and I saw this go down in Chicago, and I mean the fans are just like, just, I mean, just talk about just laying a bomb. Oh man. <laughs> All right, the good old days. And with that interruption over with, let's go to Dusty Rhodes making his second appearance on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, again, for review purposes only, let's hear from the dream. And tomorrow night, of course, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes at the Omni here in Atlanta. Let me tell you what, God, I got you out of the tag. He's right. I am hungry. Muskegon all up on the tour, Big Mac and Dream Dusty Rhodes going to be there. Let me tell you about the Omnet. You out here talking about how it's going to be. I walked in my house the other night, and in the darkest corner of the room was my lady. And I walked over and said, what is it, baby? I said, what? I said, you want a new Cadillac car? I'll give it to you. She said, no. I say, I want a $1,000 bill. She said, I said, I'll give it to you. She said, no. I say, you want a new fancy townhouse in Dallas? I'll give it to you. She said, no. All I want you to do is stop dragging your butt in here half beat to death every night. You got to get hungry and got to get bad again. So I am bad again. You talk about shirts. You talk about ripping shirts, beating people to death, Jack. When you go down on the mat, I want you to look up because I ain't laying back no longer. I ain't backing off no longer. I got the eye of the tiger, daddy. Oh, what an interview by Dusty Rhodes. Wow. Here, here's a thousand dollars, honey. I'll give you a townhouse in Dallas. No. <laughs> you can never say Dusty mailed an interview in. No, I mean, especially he's done two fantastic interviews right on this episode. And it's funny, you know, like he's got the eye of the tiger. He's lost all this weight. Uh, and you think, OK, well, he's going to kill Morocco. And no, it's over in less than 60 seconds. Hey, came in for the quick pay and get out. <laughs> that happened more than once with Dusty. I mean, every time he went to New York, it was like a less than three minute match. Unless he was against superstar Billy Graham. Yeah, it looks like it, going back through the results, when he would appear on TV, he would do another show on the circuit the same day. And then unless they were doing the Omni the next day, which most of his appearances were, uh, he'd do the Omni show and then he was gone. Yeah, Dusty, I mean, he was without question. You, one could argue that Dusty's best days were behind him then. But you know what? I mean, the better you are, the longer your prime's going to be. And in 1982, I absolutely believe Dusty was one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And I mean, he was until like 86, 87. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're only nine months off him losing the NWA belt to Flair. So he's still at the top of his game. Absolutely. And to this day, I feel like uh, Dusty's three-month run was not long enough. Um, people might argue, well, you know, you can't have a pure babyface champion. Yes, you can. And you could have him do the things that Jack Briscoe did. Uh, subtle heel stuff. It would not have hurt him. Yeah, maybe if Briscoe had, had decided to take a longer run run with the belt then maybe Dusty would have got one later. But being Briscoe, what, he just had enough at that point. Didn't want to do do the, the schedule anymore. No. Thus, the NWA never got used to having the, the face champion, even if he would play semi-heel at certain times. Yeah, the NWA, I mean, so many guys wanted that championship, and yet both Jack Briscoe and Terry Funk, like, tapped out within about 14 months of each other. Terry couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, I mean, looking back, I mean, it was a grueling schedule. 
it was almost worse than the uh, WWF schedules in the early 80s where these guys aren't getting days off and they're working usually at least 20 minutes to 45 minutes every night. Uh, and you got to remember that travel in the 70s was, you know, it's nowhere near as convenient as it is today. And it was, you know, even less convenient than the 80s. Right. All right. Uh, we've praised Dusty Rhodes. Now it's time to go to, once again, Paul Orndorff, the national heavyweight champion. To talk to a gentleman that I hold in great respect, an outstanding athlete. I followed his career since... Uh, Frankly, he was in high school, and I'm referring now to the national heavyweight champion, Paul Orndorff. Thank you, Gordon. You know, I just watched that match out there, and there's no doubt, no doubt about it. Don Morocco, uh, he wants a title shot with me. It's going to be tough. He's a tough man. He's, uh, he's out for one reason, too. He's out to make a name for himself, and it seems to me that he's doing it. You know, we got a lot of things going on. we got the world tag team belts. You know, Ole and uh, Stan Hansen, you just saw them. Uh, a lot of things are starting to happen around the Georgia area. And... Uh, I've been signed, or my name is on the contract automatically. I got uh, people coming in from all over the world now wanting title shots at the, North, the national belt. Uh, you got Buzz Sawyer. Uh, you know, we haven't seen the end of each other, too. You know, there's, there's still some uh, animosity yeah, between a, us, too. That's a fellow named Snooker that you're going to have to worry very about. Very true, very friend. true. Jimmy Snooker, I'll be uh, seeing him right in the near future. That's going to be a tough match. You know, we were once one half of uh, uh, the world tag team uh, champions at one time so i know jimmy well and i know a lot of his moves we got bob backler here we got pusky we got super destroyer uh it's just unbelievable you know I've, I've been all over the world and i've seen a lot of talent but i have never in my life and i really mean this seen the talent that is in the georgia area right now and everybody is fighting for one thing only and that's to get up here on top and right here this is what it's all about the man that wears his belt is on top and i know what to do to keep this belt i've I've been a champion before. I know what it takes to win one. I know what it takes to keep it. I'm going out there going with everything in mind, with every move that I know, with everything. You know, that's the reason why that I waited for almost five and a half years before I came back to the Georgia area. I wanted to come here when it was right and when they had the talent they got. And uh, I think everything is right now. And I, I just, I'm looking forward to things that's going to be happening here in the near future. Thank you so very much, Paul Orndorff, national heavyweight champion, an outstanding athlete and a gentleman. Uh, outside the ring and inside the ring as well, but uh, a man of great intensity. We'll be back in a moment. You know, Jamie, we, we're having, over the last two weeks, uh, a little bit more, I want to say 32 minutes of audio from Georgia Championship Wrestling. What a great show this was. I mean, the interviews are fantastic. They make you wish you lived in Atlanta so you could go see these matches. But... Even, like, you're hearing the interviews, the matches in the ring were fantastic compared to the WWF and a lot of other promotions. I mean, it wasn't one guy, you know, one guy who doesn't belong in the ring with Paul Orndorff like they would have in the WWF. You know, they would have a good wrestling match. The the, the jobbers looked like they knew, they did know how to wrestle, they knew how to work, and they had good matches. Yeah, most of the time. I mean, every now and then you had that odd jobber. But just about every match, the enhancement, let's not use jobber, we'll use enhancement talent. They would get their offense in during the match. They didn't usually completely bury the guy because he was going to wrestle the next hour, the next week. Where the WWF, it was just, it was ugly. 
I mean, the WWF, I remember when I first started watching it, you had guys like uh, Stan Hansen, Nikolai Volkov, Bruiser Brody. Their opponents would not get one maneuver in the entire match. They just took it and took it, and that's the way the WWF was. And Georgia was not like that. Even if you were wrestling against a guy as big as Stan Hansen or as big a star as a Ric Flair or a Dusty Rhodes, you know, the guy would get some spots in. Right, like the interview we have coming up where they where they talk about the Flair-Mike Jackson match. Mike Jackson looks like a million dollars in this match with Flair, and you actually thought he might pull the upset. I mean, you, you, know, you know what? I didn't think, I didn't go that far. I think what wrestling needed to do is to have an occasional upset to make us think that we might see one. We, we never saw one, and I, I wish we did. Right, that was as, as close as you were going to get to it, though. Yeah, but at least it was a good match. One thing I liked about this interview is that Jimmy Snooker's coming to Georgia uh, as a bad guy, and Orndorff's the good guy, and Orndorff acknowledges his prior relationship with Jimmy Snooker. Three years ago, they were the NWA World Tag Team Champions, and, and Orndorff doesn't ignore it. And that would happen a lot back then on everybody's different programs, even WWF. Maybe not so much on the regular television show, but when they would do the uh, Prism shows and Cal Rudman would enter, interview people, th- every now and then they would bring up things that happened between that person and if they met him up with him in another organization. Um, so acknowledgement was around then. It wasn't until much 84, 85 that acknowledgement went away. No, it only almost completely went away. Um I mean, you'd have Roddy Piper doing commentary and says, I know that's not the Texas Tornado, that's Kerry Von Erich, but that was about it. Right, uh, it was it was gone. No, and they had a Piper's Pit with Greg Valentine in early 1984. You know, these yes. two had killed each other, admitted, you know, had spent the past year killing each other. So they just briefly acknowledged it and moved on. But I, that, I think that's it. I think we, we brought up the other, the two times it happened. Oh, and Jim Cornette acknowledging Stan Lane. Right. But yeah, it, it generally did not occur. Anyway, uh, oh, well, one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, Paul Orndorff against Don Morocco. He mentioned Morocco's name. I mean, dream match in 1982, throwaway match at WrestleMania, the 1986 WrestleMania, uh, the opener, and it wasn't very good. Yeah, how the mighty had fallen by by that point. But it wasn't all, you know, Orndorff, the shoulder had gone by that point. But the, the disease he had in his arm? Uh, I forget what it was, but he had, he had nerve damage. Yeah, yeah, nerve damage, and that was the beginning of the end for Warnorf around that time. Well, it just goes to show you too. I mean, you know, wrestling in 1982 had like about eight uh, major promotions from coast to coast in the United States, and by this point, all of the the talent was you know going to one of two places and. Let's be honest, if you have that many wrestlers, someone's got to go further down the card. And at this point, it was Morocco and, and Orndorf, and just things had changed quickly in three and a half years. And you're absolutely right. All right. Here comes another interview with Bill Apter and Bob and Brad Armstrong. For review purposes, let's check this out. Suddenly, he was able to make that one counter move and got that counter three, and that's what it's all about. With me right now, of course, the managing editor of uh, Inside Wrestling, Wrestler Magazine. This man, when it comes to publications, 
Uh, he is certainly, I think, the most well-known editor in the nation, Bill Apter from New York. He is uh, with me and with Bob Armstrong and, of course, the man who, uh, well, got banged up in that one pretty good. Uh, he may have a broken nose out of that, but uh, he has been named uh, the Rookie of the Year. That's right, Gordon. You know, I travel all over the world looking for scoops, and I came down and found out that Brad Armstrong has won the Rookie of the Year award. Congratulations, Brad. Now, there's, there's something else here that's very important. You know, Bob Armstrong held that honor in 1968, and I believe, if memory serves me correct, Bob and Brad are the only father and son to have ever done this. Am I correct, Bob? That's exactly right. You know, Brad was just a youngster when I brought home the Rookie of the Year award, and Brad looked at that thing, and he said, Dad, congratulations. And never did I think that Brad would be wrestling, and he, too, would win the Rookie of the Year award. We are the only father and son team. I've looked back in the ar archives. So far, we're the only father and son team that have won the Rookie of the Year award, and I'm so proud I could bust. He just had a heck of a match. Brad has learned to take a licking and keep on ticking, brother, and we're going to keep on. From now, when you see Armstrong, you're going to see action, the double-A connection, Armstrong and Armstrong. I'm tickled to death. When Bill called me at home and told me that Brad had won the Rookie of the Year award, I can't tell you how it made me feel, Gordon. Well, I can assure uh, you, Bob, and you too, Brad, and Bill, of course, we here on Georgia Championship Wrestling are exceptionally proud as well uh, because this is an international situation, and... Uh, being named Rookie of the Year on an international basis is certainly a real plaudit, both to the Armstrongs and... Uh... Well, you know, Gordon, I think what put uh, Brad over the hump, there were five guys up for the Rookie of the Year award. There was a guy from California, New Zealand, Australia, and one more from Japan. But when Brad won the U.S. Uh, junior title, he was the youngest man ever to win this. I think that kind of put him over the hump, and that's what enabled him to win the National Wrestling Alliance Rookie of the Year Award. And, brother, I'm tickled to death. I, just, I, I really can't tell you how I feel about it. Well, we've been giving Brad a chance here to get his breath back. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, I know that nose is giving you a lot of pain right now, and I won't uh, ask Brad to say a whole lot, but certainly my congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I think Dad pretty much said it all. You know, when he said he's so proud he's about to bust, that's the same way I feel. I just, I just feel like it's, it's a big honor to me, and I certainly, certainly appreciate it. I understand that they're going to present Brad with this award late in later weeks with a big trophy like I have, and we'll put it in our trophy case right beside mine, mine for 1968, his for 1982, and it'll be something we'll look the rest of our lives and be proud of. Well, certainly all of us are very, very proud, of course, particularly Brad Armstrong. Bill, a pleasure to have you back here. Likewise, thank you. Bill After, an outstanding individual, and of course, we hope that uh, all of you will be tuning in in a couple of weeks. We'll have a very special presentation for Brad Armstrong. We'll be back with more action in a moment. Jamie, I remember watching this live, okay? I remember July, the, the late afternoon, early evening, July 3rd, 1982, and my exact words were, what guy from California? Like, I knew Bob was not exactly being truthful. Uh, he did his best. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I just, you know, I, I knew. I mean, they could have given him a couple names just to, to throw out there, but hey, it, it was what it was. I mean, it's an award that they were just, supposedly they were legit awards. I mean, who sanctions that? Well, um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated actually... From what I understand, it, it was it was legit, you know, the, the mail-in ballots. Oh, the mail-in ballots were not legit. It was Bill Apter and his friends picking picking awards. I, I, where did I – I swear I, I heard that maybe it was an Apter interview where he said that they would actually uh, be legit awards. 
I mean, if you go back, if, if you can go, I don't know if you have back issues of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but especially look at Rookie of the Year and ask yourself, like, they have the actual number of ballots the guy had, and ask yourself how some very barely known wrestler in Calgary was getting like 8,000 or 9,000 votes. I mean, I think Meltzer told me, Dave Meltzer said that to me the first time I talked to him. He's like, yeah, you know, how's that, how is that possible? And it's like, dawns on me that, yeah, it's not. Well, that was the Ed Whalen influence right there. <laughs> Ed the influencer Whalen. Brad Armstrong. I mean, I remember reading in a magazine while we're talking about those, very rarely did you have any idea how how old the wrestlers were. They kept that from you. But I read Brad Armstrong, I mean, in, I think in one of the Napolitano magazines, they mentioned that he was still in his early 20s. I think he was 21 or 22 years old at this point. And I knew it at the time. And I was like, man, you know, Brad Armstrong's this good and he's this young. What's he going to be in 1987? And I thought for sure he'd be a main eventer all over the place. And it just didn't happen for him. And, and you know what's a shame? This was actually a decent interview for him. Yeah. As, as for one of his first interviews, you would have thought he would have developed. But they say his personality just wouldn't, that red light would come on and he would just freeze. I had met him a couple times and he, he was a real nice guy. Very talkative. But you put the camera in front of him, he just couldn't, uh, couldn't translate. Yeah, I think Brad, I mean, Brad. He had all the other tools. I mean, he was magnificent in the ring. He was really good in the ring. Some people will tell me, you know, oh, he wasn't big enough. He was big enough by 1987 for sure. Uh, I, I just don't think he was ever promoted right. I really think that if JCP had said, look, you know, we're going to, or Dusty had said, look, we're going to invest in this guy. He puts on great matches. Put the TV title on him. Make do something so that the fans take him seriously. And they just didn't get around to it. They did an interview. I'm sure you remember this. When Brad was doing an interview, Ric Flair comes out and he's like, "Brad, this is my interview time. Go away." And he just brushes him off like a small child. And Brad refuses to leave. And the Horsemen jump him. And, and that led to Brad getting a title match at the Civic Center of all places in Philadelphia. He got title matches all over the place. I heard they were really good. And yeah, they were. But, you know, Brad just didn't get over. No, unfortunately, it is a shame, but Brad was Brad. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I have the feeling that if he were booked better, he would have been a way bigger star. But anyway, like I said, he, he looked like he had so much potential on this day. You know, he was so young, but... Anyway, let's go now to Bob Backlund and Ric Flair once again meeting up with Gordon Soley at the podium of Georgia Championship Wrestling from Saturday, July 3rd, 1982. Once again, it is a rare privilege and certainly a real honor to have with me the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Champion Bob Backlund and the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair. And gentlemen, in just a couple of moments, we're going to take an opportunity uh, to watch the two of you in action and some videotaped highlights of some matches. And uh, Mr. Flair, of course, uh, you uh, acquired the NWA world title uh, uh, not too terribly long ago, but you have certainly proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a fighting champion. Well, why don't you just say it the way it is, Gordon Soley? I beat Dusty Rhodes for the World Heavyweight Championship, and I've gone through them all. The Funks, the Briscoes, the Tommy Riches, the toughest competition that professional wrestling has to offer has come after this 10 pounds of gold and thus far the great one 
Just standing here today. Well, of course, there's one man that you have never met uh, in the field of competition, uh, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion Bob Backlund, and uh, that should prove to be, I would think, one of the classic matches of all time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, uh, you can feel the way you uh, want to about Mr. Flair, but I know he's got a lot of ability, and uh, I respect the man, but I want to beat him. I want to prove to him that I can beat him. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence, and I guess I can respect him for that also. It's interesting to note, and I think right now we'll do this. We're going to take a look at the, the, the two men in action. I think you'll get a better idea of why these men are champions, and yet with con contrasting approaches and uh, philosophies to the sport of wrestling. Let's go first and watch Ric Flair in action. He has co-professions. He is an educator as well as a professional wrestler. And uh, even though he is... Uh, somewhat diminutive uh, compared to most wrestlers. Uh, he's uh, quite a basketball coach, and you can imagine that uh, a good share of uh, his students, of all basketball players, uh, would tower over him, and yet he commands respect at all times. And he is uh, commanding the respect of the champion now. As uh, Jackson fires the mid-second, fires again, and again, and Jackson again explodes on Flair, but Flair, Equal to the task. Flair out of the University of Minnesota. saw what was happening to him, blocked it temporarily, or, or partially blocked it, I might we add. We High, high, vertical play. And Jackson is down, and I have to believe Jackson. All right, there he goes, and the spinning toe holds of the figure four. All right, Jackson conceding, and uh, deservedly so. And Flair, a little added pressure at the last moment. Flair, I think... Uh, what a man, huh? You know, I don't have an opportunity very often to watch myself on television, but when I do, I have to admit I'm really impressed. What a man. I hope you had an opportunity to look at that. Check out that figure four long and hard, my friend. Interesting to note about the figure four because you go into that from a spinning toll and yet you come from the opposite side I of the norm. I go into it in a way that no other wrestler has. And you don't see a whole lot of guys coming out of it, do you? No, very frankly, I've never Worldwide, seen anybody. Worldwide, when I put that on, it's I give up. Question on that, Bob Backlund. Uh, you had an opportunity there to see the... Uh, see that and uh, before we talk about it however why don't we go and watch you in action in a very important night in your life yes let's uh, impress uh, mr. flair just a little bit okay uh, if everybody will turn to the uh, monitor here we'll uh, take a look and uh, Bob I wonder if you'd mind uh, just uh, filling us in on this well, this was the night I won the worldwide wrestling Federation title it was February 20th uh, 1978 and this was in Madison Square Garden and uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Ric Flair, but uh, 
He, and he wrestled in a lot of great, great places, but I don't think he's even defended his title in Madison Square Garden. Um, that's the greatest arena in the world. Uh, I represent people from all over the world, though, uh, and I like to wrestle wherever I'm at. And this is uh, a tough, tough match. There's 27,500 people there that night. I think that was the record in Madison Square Garden for attendance. And I might point out, of course, the man that you are competing against was then the Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion, uh, superstar Billy Graham, certainly one of the most powerful men in professional wrestling. Yes, he's very, very strong. He trains real, real hard. He weighs about 265 pounds, and uh, I definitely had my hands full. But Vince, uh, when, or, I mean, Gordon, when you got that many people uh, behind you, uh, they give you a lot of strength and a lot of power, and they really get that adrenaline going, and I really appreciate it from fans all over the world. That's an interesting observation. Uh, you are the first one who has mentioned, of course, uh, the kind of support that you do get from the fans and the fact that that does give you some added incentive in the ring. Yes, it does. It makes you reach down and try that little extra. A lot of times, you know, uh, you, you might be getting beat, but then fans get behind you cheering for you and cheering for you and maybe hollering out your name. And by golly, you reach down inside you and you come out. It, that's when you have a lot of heart and a lot of desire and that's when you say by golly i'm not getting beat this man's gonna have to do something very very drastic to me to defeat me i've worked too hard i've trained too long i'm not gonna give up i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna keep going and uh i know uh, rick flair he's, he doesn't give up and i know i don't give up we're both competitors and we're both going to give it 100 percent when we get into that ring and uh, i'm really looking forward to finding out who the better man is i want to represent the whole world of professional wrestling Beautiful atomic knee drop and, of course, down for the count. And this, of course, was the time that uh, brought Bob Backlund the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship. Gentlemen, may I just say this to both of you. I admire both of you. I respect both of you. You are obviously uh, both the world's greatest wrestlers. There's no question about that. May I just say I would appreciate it greatly uh, when you two do meet uh, to determine personally which one of you is the better man. Uh, I hope it's going to be the kind of match that we're all looking forward to, and I would certainly appreciate it if you two would uh, care to shake hands. May I just say, may the best man win when you do meet. Well, obviously, we both feel this is the ultimate. It's like I said before, the greatest competitors, whether it's the greatest teams or individuals get together, one man can walk away with all the gold and all the glory, and Bobby Backlund, but you're not Ric Flair. Remember that. Well, Bob, uh, not much I can say to... Uh, we'll find out who the better man is. Okay, Bob Backlund, an outstanding athlete. All right, I've got a lot to say here. What, what you did not see, which you might be able to see on YouTube, is Bob Backlund extended his hand to Ric Flair. Well, you know, Gordon asked for a handshake. And Flair just left him, left him standing there. He just walked off. Um, I remember watching this and just, you know, my thought on, you know, general wrestling is you want the, the heels to look arrogant and look like bad people and all that, but you don't want the baby faces to look stupid. And Ric Flair, I remember watching it and I thought, he made Bob Backlund look stupid. He looked like he made Bob Backlund look like someone who was not to be taken seriously. Who was someone to be laughed at? Yeah, he made Backlund look like the country bumpkin off the uh, off the farm. 
Yeah, and I remember saying at the time, look, yeah, I, I knew what the deal with wrestling was. It was scripted. I would have scripted that Bob Backlund would have said, hey, you're not going to, you know, you think you're going to disrespect me like that on television and take off my jacket and have Gordon Sully hold it, hold it, and have Bob show some fire and like, yo, you're going to disrespect me on TV? I'm going to smack you in the head. Yeah, Backlund didn't really come off too well in that whole scenario. I, I mean, even, even during the... Um during the showing of the match, he calls him, he calls Gordon Vince at one point. I missed that. <laughs> and whoever set this up, I, it was almost as if they set back on up to fail. Why are you showing a match of him beating Billy Graham from four years before that? Uh, good point. May, maybe show a Morocco match, showing that he beat somebody recently that's, you know, big in their own promotion. I'm thinking maybe, well, I can see why you don't want to see a show Morocco doing a job for Backlund, quite frankly. I think maybe they showed it because they had such a fan, a big response when Backlund won the belt, but there were plenty of other matches where he got a big response after winning. Jimmy, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's no reason to not show a more recent match against, you know, I don't know, Jesse Ventura, Adrian Adonis. I mean, they even had the match from when he was in a studio in 79. Yeah. That they could have used. And on Best of the next day, on the 4th of July, they actually show that entire uh, Billy Graham match. Okay, wow. I was not watching the next day. Usually I watched the Sunday show, but not, not on the 4th of July. Bob Backlund brought up that Ric Flair had never defended the NWA championship at Madison Square Garden. And as the words were coming out of his mouth... I was like, man, that is something I would have loved to have seen, even on videotape years later. Just put Ric Flair out there against a Tony Gurria, a Steve Travis, whatever. And as this was going through my head, I'm like, you know what? Ric Flair would have absolutely showed up Bob Backlund. Oh, yeah, probably would have. And that's why uh, since Junior is taking over at this point, at this point is when the guests at Madison Square Garden begin to reduce you do get a couple dusties you get you know some japanese wrestlers you get some montreal wrestlers but for the most part the territory guys stop coming yeah and that was a shame i always loved reading in the magazines about you know whatever wrestler just came to madison square garden for a one-off whether it be uh gino hernandez chavo guerrero steve kern whoever and it seems like that's something vince senior started to do uh because i've seen results back as far as the 71, where they had like Terry and Dory Funk coming in, do one off at Madison, you know, just Madison Square Garden, nowhere else on the circuit. Yeah. And, you know, it made Madison Square Garden, you know, even, I'm, I don't know about you being in Philly, but like me being the, uh, a guy who went to the Boston shows, like, okay, I love these shows, but they are a step down from Madison Square Garden. The Madison Square Garden shows were special, and that was one reason. Yeah, even I can acknowledge that. All right, let's go now to the next interview uh, with the mass superstar, Ole Anderson and Stan Hansen. Right now to talk to the uh, superstar, of course. Uh, there's great action. Uh coming up uh, tomorrow night uh, here in Atlanta at the Omni. Well, there's going to be a lot of activity all over this area. I see Bob Backlund and Rick Flair. And you understand that these individuals are vying for the same ultimate goal, the number one position. I hope, I hope I'm going to be able to see that at the Akane. But tomorrow night right here in the Omni, wrestling number two, you and I are going to be involved in a different type of battle. It's not going to be a wrestling match, and you're the one that's making the statements now that I'm running and sneaking up behind your back. 
I don't have to run up behind anybody's back. I'm going to come right down your throat. Right here tomorrow night, wrestling number two, the living legend is about to come to an end because I'm going to do everything in my possible power to take that mask off of your face, humiliate you, and kick you out of professional wrestling for good. Wrestling number two, I want you out of wrestling. I don't think there's any question. We want a lot of people out. The Omni, the big show for Akasa, July 4th, Dusty Rhodes. Get them all ready. Tommy Rich Putsky, because we're coming to the Omni. All right, another good interview. All three guys contributed there. Uh, Mass Superstar was only known only as the Superstar in Georgia, which surprised me when I first started seeing it because he was Masked Superstar in the magazines. But, I mean, obviously they did that in the magazines and they did that in the WWF to avoid confusion with the Superstar Billy Graham up here. Right, that's probably exactly why they did it. I mean... It, it, Superstar may have been the first heel I ever liked. From the time I saw him, uh, when I started watching the Georgia wrestling in, in 81, like I was talking about Flair earlier on, Superstar didn't yell. Superstar just came out and said his piece. Now you know it was extra personal because he's starting to raise his voice against uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 in this circumstance. He wants to get his hands on 2. Yeah, and Mr. Wrestling 2 and the Superstar have been going at it on and off in Georgia since 1979. So, I mean, there's a lot of bad blood between those two, long term. Right, and they obviously just didn't have... This is like an in-between period for both of the guys. Two had just returned. Uh, Superstar was just coming back from Japan. So, you have nothing else for him to do? Put the two boys back together again and let them do their magic. Uh, on the biggest show of the year, no question. All right, now we've got uh, the final interview for over this two-week period where we've been talking Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, the July 3rd and 4th, 1982 shows. Let's hear from Tommy Rich, Wildfire Tommy Rich, and Ivan Putsky. And we'd like to remind you, of course, that we'll be wrestling tonight here in uh, Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, also in Gadsden, Alabama, Tomorrow night, the Omni in Atlanta. Monday, Gainesville, Florida. Stephen O'Connell Center. Tommy Wildfire Rich will be there. On Thursday, in Jessup, Georgia. And on Friday, in Conyers, Georgia. And that'll be at the Rockdale County High School. Match time in all of those towns, 8.30. And, of course, tomorrow night, a very, very critical night for you and Mr. Putz. You know, Gordon, we're going to start it in Augusta tonight. But, you know, tomorrow night at the Omni, that's the big one. You know, Stan Hansen, he talks about a turncoat calling Ivan a turncoat. This man, he's standing beside me. One time, I remember Stan Hansen turned his back on me. And I think I got one heck of a partner right here, and it's going to explode at the Omni. I tell you what, we're ready. This is my first time here in Atlanta at the Omni. And I tell you what, I'm going to leave an impression. I got a good partner here, and we're here to do some business. And I tell you, the Polish pie is going to make his mark. Just get ready. Going to happen tomorrow night here at the Omni in Atlanta. You know, one thing I always say about wrestling. Uh, Joe Montana did not go to Jessup, Georgia. Cal Ripken Jr. did not go to Jessup, Georgia. Magic Johnson did not go to Jessup, Georgia. But Tommy Rich did. Right. But, you know, that was there in comparison to our Omni or our Spectrum and MSG uh, cut-ins. That was the equivalent on that show. So they had to promote where they were going somewhere. Oh, sure. And what we're talking about is... 
we would, you know, they're wrestling with Beyond, and all of a sudden we'd hear uh, uh, Howard Finkel say, you know, coming Wednesday night to Malden, Massachusetts, you will be seeing such stars as, you know, and you had the same thing down there. Yeah, exactly. And if you watch the, the WWF stuff on the, on the uh, Peacock right now, you'll notice at the beginning of All-Star Wrestling during a match, there'll be silence for like two minutes. And that's from when Howard Finkel or Vince was given the upcoming matches everywhere. So you, you, you have to have it somewhere. But you're right. It does come off. You're on national television and you're going to Jessup, Georgia. Where the hell is Jessup, Georgia? You know what, though? To me, that was part of the charm of Georgia yes. Championship Wrestling. I mean, I I liked it, but I, I understand the point that you were saying. It looks minor league by going to those towns, but it was the charm. It's what made that show great. No, I, I actually, my point wasn't that it was minor league. It was kind of the magic of pro wrestling. Like, you know, uh, the Reggie Jackson didn't come to North Attleboro, Massachusetts, but Andre the Giant every now and then did. And it's like, you know, that's what makes wrestling okay. a big deal. Yeah, I'll agree with you. You know, and especially, you know, getting into the 80s, you know, uh, Michael Jordan didn't go to Davenport, Iowa, but sometimes Hulk Hogan did. Right. OK. I thought you were more taking a, a, a shot at the way of looking at it from today's standards. OK, no, I'm, I'm just saying yeah, that, that, that that's where I was. I was going there. No, I was saying like that, like, a, you know, that's the magic of pro wrestling that, you know, these international stars would come to your hometown, even if it was a small town. And I wish there were back then. I wish there was a way to know what happened in each one of those towns. Yeah, I would try to find out. Like they, they wouldn't tell you the matches. They would just tell you who was going to be there. You know, they don't want to give too much away. I mean, that was the bright spot about the Omni, though. They, I forget what. I guess it was in February of '82. They came out with a phone number, and I used to call that phone number every Sunday night, early Monday morning, and that line would just be busy, busy, busy. And then you'd finally get through, and it'd be a recorded message. And uh, I remember having to ask my dad for permission to call because it was long distance. Yep. And back then, long distance wasn't included like it is in cell phones, and it was really expensive. It, it was really expensive. Um, I mean, and uh, but I mean, I grew up. I mean, locally in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, you know, a mile from where I lived, they had WWF wrestling every Friday night. And instead of just waiting for to see the the advertisement in the newspaper on Wednesday and Thursday, no, I was calling on Monday and Tuesday to see who was wrestling, even though I wasn't going to see it. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure they were like that damn kid again. All right, so yeah. let's talk about the show. We talked about two of the results last, uh, the last show: Super Destroyer over Tom Pritchard, Kevin Sullivan over Masa Saito. Next, we have a Texas Death Match, which did not get uh, any play on this show. Bad, bad Leroy Brown defeats John Studd. Uh, Jamie, last time I had you on, we were talking about, oh man, you know, I wish there was no such thing as work rate, but really this match could not have been very good. Yeah. Looking back, it it had to be horrible. I mean, even with Texas death rules where you can make it a brawl. I mean, let's be honest. uh, These are two guys who moved as if they had cement for feet. And these guys were both on the way out at this point. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then we have, uh, speaking of another uh, Georgia guy that the WWF was, was, who was about to go yeah. to the WWF, John Studd. Exactly. And his career would actually take off in the WWF. 
Yeah, it would. It would. I mean, I you know he showed he up three three different runs with Andre. Uh, yes, he had the eighty two run, eighty two, eighty three. Then he went national in eighty four, and then they tried to get it going again in eighty nine. But then again, they kept it going in eighty five and eighty six. Yep. All right. Then we have a match. I would have loved seeing this match. The Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy against the Samoans. We have the Samoans who were a dominant team in the WWF against the outstanding and charismatic Freebirds. Yeah, this is a tag team dream match. Yeah. From this era. Two of the top tag teams in the world. And you know what? If I'm booking, I have the Samoans go over by DQ, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, they do... It takes them two months to wind up getting the belts. It, it does. And you know what? If you Actually, I guess if you're planning on putting the belts on the Samoans, I'm not sure if they were, then maybe it makes sense to have them doing jobs early. Uh, Morocco, Don Morocco over Dusty Rhodes in 49 seconds. We talked a little bit about that earlier, but wow, a, a definitely a departure from your normal Dusty Rhodes match. Yeah, he got his money. He went. And then I believe Oli, from what I was researching, uh, Oli and Stan come into the ring. The three of them start triple teaming Dusty. And Tommy Rich comes to the rescue. And they end up injuring Tommy Rich. And that that's right. Tommy Rich had his had a cast on his, on his arm for a while. Right. I couldn't understand why Rich, as we'll get to the result in a little bit, why he's not there. And... So for years, I thought he no-showed, but here it was, they did an injury angle. Okay, because we'll talk about this in like literally seconds, but all day I've been laughing about that, and I, I guess the we've, we've changed courses. But anyway, um, next up, dream match, National Heavyweight Championship, Paul Orndorff defeats Jimmy Superfly Snooker by disqualification. Again, we're looking at two, in, in my eyes, of the top 10 wrestlers in the world. I'll bet that was a tremendous match. That was probably the uh, probably stole the show that match. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Snooker when he was with the WWF in '82, he was very on and very off. I have seen some terrible Jimmy Snooker matches. Uh, one of his matches against Bob Backlund in Boston was absolutely awful. But then again, I've seen some good ones. So who knows? And plus, he's in a work rate territory. Let's face it. Yeah, and he's only been gone there for six months. Right. So, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, he was a big star in Georgia in 1981 prior to his WWF debut. Next up, we have the NWA World Tag Team uh NWA World Tag Team titles. Ivan Putski and Dr. Pre-Dr. Tom Pritchard over Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson by disqualification. Jamie, all day long, I've been kind of laughing, thinking, okay, we know Tommy Rich is in the area. He couldn't have missed a flight. He was at the TV studio uh, the night before. What went on (laughs) July 4th where he couldn't wrestle at the Omni? I I hate to think about it, but they ran an angle, so that's that's all good. And I didn't know it until today. I mean, I, I didn't point, didn't dawn on me. Because we touched on this actually the last time I was on. Right. When we, when we did that little bonus stuff, like where was Tommy Rich on his card and why Tom Pritchard of all people twice. Yeah, and it makes total sense. They just, you know, they needed a guy who was available and Tom Pritchard was available. All right. And then we have the Mass Superstar defeating Mr. Wrestling number two in their Texas death match. Yeah, I'll bet that was a decent match. Oh, yeah. I mean, two was never, I want to say never, but at this point, he was far from terrible, uh, I thought. 
but what he did, he did well. And he had superstar to carry him the rest of the way. And these guys could probably could have wrestled this match blindfolded. Uh, that's actually a good point. And two knew what he was doing. So you're right. Finally, we have the NWA heavyweight champion Ric Flair versus the WWF champion Bob Backlund. What a surprise. It ends in a double countout. Um, Jamie, this is the number one match. If I could, like... Okay, a genie pops out of the bottle. You can see any match in pro wrestling history. Which one is it going to be? For me, it would be this one, even though I have heard over the years that this was a terrible match. I would agree. This is like the holy grail for the uh, the tape trader generation. I mean, for the longest time, they didn't have the race back on available, and that you know that popped out. The in the recent years, the last battle of Atlanta showed up. So hopefully someday maybe this will come out. I I, I keep saying they gotta this. have it. Yeah, I mean they've got to have it. And let's be honest, you know, Jamie, both both you and I are in our fifties now. You got to get this out there, WWE slash Peacock, before people like Jamie and I, while we're still around, the people who really want to see it are still around. Yeah, I've had this conversation with Ron Levue several times, where. They're sitting on all that content, and the guys like me, you, and Ron, and Mike Gunner, you know, we don't have much time left to be able to see this stuff. Let's get it out there so we can see it. Yeah, we are. We are concerned. I mean, if if they wait 30 years, we're all going to be 30, 40 years. We're all going to be gone. Yeah. Or not have the interest to even see it anymore. Uh, I I can't imagine. I'll I'll be on my deathbed wanting to see this stuff. But I mean, like I said, but like you said, you know, the people who really who live through it, who really care about it, while we're still around, please get it out there. I'm going to be honest with you. Let's pick a match from the fifties. I mean, no matter what match it is, it's not that I don't want to see it, but it's not going to be in my top ten. I want to see this match because I didn't live through it. Exactly, and those you know, 20 years ago, might have wanted to see a match from the 50s or 60s. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, anyway... It's, it's generational. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that, that, no, what you're saying is true. I mean, the people who care about it, you know, you got to get it out there while we're still here to enjoy it. But um, I, like I said, I just want to s- confirm one way or another, like, okay, how bad was it? It's, it's pretty much confirmed that Ric Flair versus Bob Backlund, the one and only time they had a singles match... I mean, Backlund in his book said it wasn't any good, but I just want to see it for myself. Yeah, I would love to see it also. I mean, everything I've ever read on it, it wasn't that great of a match. And uh, I don't know if the people telling the story were being legit or not, but it seemed like uh, Backlund was really weary of a... uh, of a double cross, yeah. Yeah, double cross. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I mean he, uh, he a, said uh, it double in his book. cross. He said, oh, it, did he? I've never read the Backlund book. Oh, it, Jamie, you would love the Backlund book. It, it's written practically for you. Okay, I'll have to get my hands on it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely well. I don't say this about every wrestling book, and I can't possibly read every wrestling book. There are so many out there, but ba- the Backlund book was a really good one, especially if you grew up up here in that era like Jamie and I and many of the listeners have. Jamie, thank you for being part of Stick to Wrestling two weeks in a row. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I always have the time of my life when I do this. And that's why it's always a good show when you're on. All right, I once again want to thank Jamie Ward for kicking out two excellent episodes of Stick to Wrestling. Uh, This is where we're going to give you a little bit of extra content, maybe five, ten minutes worth. If that's not your thing, 
Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Um, we are 212 episodes into this fine podcast, and I have never publicly invited anyone to be the guest on Stick to Wrestling. Now, this person turned me down once about a year and a half ago, and I hope I don't get turned down twice. Um, But he's very proud of it. He will show you the picture or, or the uh, screen grab of him turning me down faster than he would turn show you a picture of his newborn baby. I'm talking about Richard O'Sullivan. Yes, Richard, we're talking about you, and I want to have you on. I hope we don't. I don't get turned down twice. That would hurt my feelings. But I want him on to clear up a few things. Now, first and foremost, Richard apparently, or well, more than apparently, has a problem with me and this podcast because it and I were once associated with, wait for it, Sean Goodwin, the former co-host of Stick to Wrestling. He's been gone for about three years now, and Richard has some huge problem with him. Let me read what Richard says the problem is. I'm going to use some bad language. I'm quoting this person, okay? This is straight from Richard. Someone said, you know, what's the heat with you and McAdam? And he says, quote, I don't get the heat either. I didn't realize we had any until his buddy, referring to Shang, tried to fuck the love of my life while I was in the process of trying to hook his untalented ass up. Sean tried to fuck the love of his life. God, the whole time, Richard, I thought the love of your life was being a pathetic douchebag on internet wrestling boards, being a a pseudo-tough guy loser. Well, live and learn. I know now what the love of Richard's life actually is. Tried to hook Sean up? What kind of a relationship did my former co-host have with this person? I mean, why was I completely unaware that Sean and Richard like somehow got together? And I don't know. I don't get the whole thing either. But again, this is why I want Richard on Stick to Wrestling because he can straighten this all out. I just want the details here. I, Richard, I totally believe that Sean did that to you, okay? I just want the details. I don't think you're a pathetic, pathological liar or anything. I don't think you're a meth head. I definitely don't think you're an unhinged psychopath or anything like that. Despite Richard ranting about me literally at four in the morning earlier this week. I mean, no substance abuse red flags there, right? He just probably got up to take a leak and said, hey, you know, let me get this off my chest right now at four in the morning. Nothing weird about that because Richard's a man of truth. I don't think those things. I totally believe that Richard has at least had a girlfriend who was so striking and so stunning that Sean lost control and forgot that he had a girlfriend and went straight after yours. I'm not laughing at these ideas. Someone just threw pie in another person's face. That's what I was laughing about. Anyway, I just want the details. Like, Richard lives in New York and Sean lives right outside of Boston. That's like four hour, four and a half hours apart, right? How did Sean and Richard meet up in real life? They, they never seemed particularly friendly when the three of us were sharing a common internet space. And it's odd that out of the literally hundreds of times I've spoken with Sean, he never mentioned a meeting or anything like that, having any sort of relationship with Richard O'Sullivan. Not that I can remember Richard's name ever coming up. I mean, you must know that you must think he'd say something, right? But obviously, Richard isn't lying. He's incapable of lying. So Sean must have had a reason to keep that from me. I don't know what. But I want all of you 
listeners of, of Stick to Wrestling, reach out to Richard and let him know you want him on Stick to Wrestling. I mean, we must let it be known how badly we want him to clear this and other matters up. Like, don't troll him. Be nice. Don't say anything that might upset him. But just say, hey, I'd like you to appear on Stick to Wrestling. I just want to hear your side of the story. I just want the details of how Sean tried to have sex with, I'll use those words, the love of Richard's life. Like, what did he do? Was he being flirty or like, did he pull down his pants right in front of her and start rubbing against her? Uh, have the sex. I don't know. Sean doesn't seem like that kind of guy, but Richard, you have the answers. And I want to hear them. I am still trying to figure out how, again, how they were in the same room at the same time, or maybe just Sean and Richard's love of his life were in the same room. I don't know. I mean, there are some people who suspect that the only girlfriend Richard's ever had is his right hand, but I'm not one of those people. Richard's a chick magnet, I'm sure. I'm being very serious here. I want to say something to everyone listening to this podcast. 90% of us already know this, but I want to tip in Richard and maybe the other 10%. You know, the younger you are, the more you need to hear this. There is no code amongst men at least not that we honor, where we say, oh, she has a boyfriend? Well, I'll just leave her alone. Doesn't work that way. Better yet, that's the love of Richard O'Sullivan's life? I'll just look elsewhere. Whether or not this happened in real life or in just some weird fever dream that Richard has, that's not the reality of it, okay? I have personally seen Guys steal their best friend's girlfriend. I'm not kidding. It happens. Johnny Ramone stole Joey Ramone's girlfriend and married her. And those two were on the road 300 days a year having to deal with each other in that situation. Guys don't care. It didn't stop Johnny Ramone. It's not going to stop the guy sitting next to you. Now, this apparently especially happens with attractive girls and Richard O'Sullivan. It's not a coincidence that I'm the one sharing the information with you and not the other way around, right, Richard? You pathetic subhuman embarrassment. You're in your late 50s and you're still trying to hit the corner. Here's the deal, Richard. 50-year-old garbage directors are fenced off. It's over for you. You want to retort to that? Come on the show. I mean, Richard, how, how is that significantly smaller microphone that you have working for you right now? But you're still invited. Come on, everyone. Let's get Richard as the guest here on Stick to Wrestling. Let him know that he's wanted. So, Richard, I'll tell you what. Please get in touch so that we can hang out sometime this week. We'll have a few laughs over the situation. You'll clear it all up, and then we'll talk some old school wrestling. Come on. I don't want to have to beg you to do this every single week like I am prepared to and I'm going to every single week, Richard. Once again, Jamie, thank you for the two shows. Brian, thank you for letting me be part of Sick to Wrestling. Thank you, Lou, for everything you do. And mostly I want to thank you guys for listening to Stick to Wrestling. And look, have a happy and safe 4th of July if you're here in the United States. And this has been a production of the Artadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This concludes our podcast day. 